Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey guys, welcome back to Thick and Thin with me, Katie Bellotti. And if you guys have a sweet tooth, listen up because today's episode will definitely satisfy or maybe heighten your sweet tooth. Today's episode of the podcast, as you can tell from the title, has to do with one of my favorite things, and that is cake. (laughs) I don't know if this is like a hot take, but my favorite cake ever in the history of ever is cheesecake, especially of the New York variety. New York cheesecake with like a strawberry drizzle sometimes if I'm feeling crazy, feeling really out there. So darn good. Um, But there's a lot more to today's episode than just cake, Um, especially cheesecake, because we're going kind of back in time to a time when there probably wasn't even a cheesecake invented at the time. So anyway, the inspiration behind today's episode is the fact that I swear I feel like everyone and their mother is born in the month of July. Like I feel like July and then August as well, like everyone is just being born. I don't know. I mean like, or were born 20 some years ago. I've been going to so many birthday parties recently. A lot of us celebrated birthdays in quarantine last year. So, you know, Obviously, now we're trying to do more elaborate, fun things for our birthdays because we can. So I feel like everyone that I know in the city is like throwing these elaborate parties. They're like renting out bars, which is really fun. My friend Colby and my friend Shay are actually doing a joint birthday party at this really awesome bar in August. So a lot of birthday talk has been swirling in the air, and it really got me thinking about why we celebrate birthdays. Like, obviously I understand the reasoning. It's like, okay, you know, we made it another year and that is worth celebrating. So that's a great thing. But like, why do we use cakes? Why do we put candles in cakes? Why do we even have a birthday party to begin with? Like, why do we do that? And where did it come from? So all of those things were kind of like swirling in my mind. And then I also, while thinking of this, was reminded of the famous quote Uh, the famous Marie Antoinette quote or misquote, which we'll get into later, let them eat cake. So naturally I was like, awesome, cake-filled episode. We love cake. Hopefully no one is craving dessert right now because (laughs) you're going to crave it extra after this episode. But I essentially blended these concepts together, the history of the birthday and Marie Antoinette, who was the last queen of France before the French Revolution, uh, abolished the monarchy. And she's a very colorful character. So I just wanted to do a a fun-filled episode, a really interesting drama-filled episode. Lots of uh, confectionery creations to be discussed in this episode. So yeah, the curious history of the birthday celebration. Why do we celebrate birthdays with cake, candles, and parties? Where did it come from? And a look into the life and indulgences of Marie Antoinette, the last queen of France. 
So let's take a trip back in time to the year 1787. So 1787 was a remarkable year because it signaled the start of the French Revolution. And this happened for a variety of reasons. I'm not going to get into every single reason. There was a lot of different stuff that led to the fighting over in France, but essentially the political and social structure of France at the time before the revolution just wasn't sustainable. The monarchy that existed was outdated. It was all kind of a mess. So fighting naturally began and the revolution ended up lasting for 12 years, ending in 1799. So at the time, Marie Antoinette was the queen of France and she was a colorful character for so many reasons that we'll get into. Her story is actually really interesting. Um, and we've seen this in a lot of like modern movie depictions of her. There's that one movie with Kirsten Dunst and a bunch of other depictions of her, which are like honestly pretty accurate. She was just a very colorful character. Uh, she was very well liked actually in the beginning years of her marriage and reign, and then ultimately kind of fell off the wagon. People started hating her for so many reasons. And that ultimately decided her fate, which was probably the least glamorous fate one could have, which we'll also get into. But for a bit of a backstory on our girl Marie, so she actually wasn't even born French. She was actually Austrian. And her original name was very long, Maria Antonia Josepha Joanna, Archduchess of Austria. That was how she was born. So Marie, who wasn't even really named Marie at birth, she acquired that name. She essentially changed her whole identity when she entered France. She was born an Austrian princess, and she was actually one of 15 children. 15, her poor mother, 15 children. And as we know, marriages between royals back then and even now sometimes are done to unite countries, forge alliances, etc. So when Marie was coming of age over in Austria, her people were actually creating this newfound alliance with France, their longtime enemy. And so Marie's monarch family offered her up to the heir apparent to the French throne. It just made sense. Obviously, they wanted to continue to forge that alliance. And so the heir apparent was Dauphin Louis Auguste. And, you know, Dauphin being the title given to the heir that was next in line for the throne. And what happens next is kind of a shotgun marriage situation of sorts. Like they wanted this to happen fast. They wanted this alliance to be solidified Everyone was very excited about it, except for probably Marie, who was only 14 at the time. But in April of that year, to really expedite things, they did this ceremony without the groom present. Like, I think they did it in Austria. They must have. I think they were doing it in Vienna or something. And in April of that year, Marie's brother stood in for the groom and they had a ceremony to get things in stone, essentially. So that was in April. And then a month later in May, Marie was able to arrive in France and they did the whole thing again with the groom present. But how crazy, like Marie is 14 years old at this time and she is walking down the aisle to her literal brother and everyone's watching and everyone's so excited. And she's probably just like freaking out inside. I can't imagine what she was thinking. She's 14 years old. She's the youngest of 15 siblings. Wow. Like, talk about overwhelming. Anyway, so on May 7th, 1770, 14-year-old Marie Antoinette was delivered 
to the French, literally like hands it off on an island in the middle of the Rhine River. And the literal day after Marie met, like the day after she met this guy, this 15-year-old future king of France, the two were married in a super over-the-top ceremony. The guest list apparently topped over 5,000 attendees. And the celebration actually lasted for over two weeks. And in the lineup, there was actually this grand fireworks show where Sparks apparently got super out of control and killed 132 people. A literal tragedy for the sake of celebrating this royal union, aka political union. So as you can tell, a lot of people were excited about this union, about these two formerly enemy countries becoming united in this way. And so there was a lot of excitement with a lot of people, but not so much excitement in the bridal chamber. (laughs) Okay. These were literally like two teenagers who didn't know each other and then were expected to produce an heir like immediately. And so obviously after the ceremony, they were escorted to the bridal chamber by the groom's grandfather. The king blessed their bed and left the room to allow them to get to work. And literally nothing happened. And apparently nothing happened for the next seven years either, which obviously caused a lot of chatter in the palace walls, outside of the palace walls. And word on the street was, Louis actually suffered from this painful medical condition that made him basically impotent. So he couldn't produce an heir. I don't think he, I don't really know the extent of it, but it just sounds very painful to me. It sounds like not very promising at all for producing an heir or really much of anything else. And so obviously people started kind of losing faith, losing respect for the couple. And so something had to be done. So in 1777, seven years after Marie was dumped on French soil and essentially had to figure it out, she was engaged to someone she never met. So seven years after that, Austrian Archduchess Marie Theresa sent one of her sons over, Emperor Joseph II, to Versailles to intervene, to get things moving, essentially. And it's unclear exactly what happened, but somehow the problem was fixed, either because the now king, Louis XVI, so he was king now, he either underwent surgery to fix his problem, or because in the words of the emperor, the couple had maybe been, quote, two complete blunderers. And I actually had to Google what blunderer means. I can barely even say it out loud, like, let alone what does it mean? And a blunderer is basically a careless, ignorant person So I think what he meant by this was like, they just like were messing around. Like they didn't even like give it a try. They didn't even like want to probably maybe they're liars. I don't know. I I just feel like they probably weren't extremely attracted to one another. Like how do you just force people to be intimate like that when they don't even know each other? They're teenagers, but whatever. So essentially this guy came, Emperor Joseph II, and kicked things into gear. So within a year... From him arriving, so seven years after she arrived in France in general, Marie Antoinette gave birth to the first of their four children. And it's kind of sad. She ultimately had some issues. She had some miscarriages. There's a lot going on. But she gave birth to the first child within a year. So something shifted in the royal bedchamber. I don't know exactly what shifted. I'm actually really curious. But they started popping out kids and things were great. But to back things up, so... 
As I said earlier, Marie was super popular amongst the French when she first arrived in France. So when she actually made her first ever appearance in the French capital, a crowd of 50,000 Parisians, quote, grew so uncontrollable, so like fangirling essentially, according to history.com, that at least 30 people were trampled to death in the excitement of seeing Marie Antoinette for the first time. So she was very, very like, she. I feel like she was just like clouded in this like mystery. Like people didn't really know what to expect from her. They just knew she was like luxurious and like came from Austria and it's like, you know, scandalous and crazy. So I think people were just fangirling for that reason. But obviously something really shifted because she ended up being super hated. So I want to discuss how that kind of happened, like how the public changed their opinion on her. So like I said earlier, she was a colorful character in more ways than one in her clothing, in her habits, in her lifestyle. She was also super rebellious. So she would clothe herself in these luxurious silk dresses, even as the country was in like turmoil and people were starving. She wore scented gloves, walked through the palace in the highest of heels and made herself seem even taller and, you know, larger than life with her voluptuous towering poof hairstyle that was very famous. She would pile it on top of her head. She had this like, like almost like celebrity hairstylist, basically like royal hairstylist at her disposal that would do her hair every day. And it reportedly made her four feet taller just the hairstyle alone, not even factoring in the heels. And she would stick all these random things in it. She would like put feathers in there. She would put like little figurines of things. And it was just madness. Like I wonder how long it took, honestly, each day. So as her husband slept each night, peacefully in bed, King Louis was tucked into bed at night. She partied into the early morning hours. She spent her days gossiping with her ladies' maids and dressing to the absolute nines for these mysterious masked balls that happened all the time. So she was a party girl, especially for those seven long years where she wasn't hooking up with her husband and wasn't making any kids. She was focused on living it up, and she most certainly did. So this actually tells you a lot about her character and her no-fucks attitude. She reportedly commissioned this painting of herself riding a horse in the style of a man. So not in the way that a woman would respectfully ride a horse. And she also was like one of the only people of the time to wear breeches or like breeches, I guess, the pants um, and not a skirt while riding horses. And she also, she owned property which was crazy for the time, independent from her husband. She owned it all herself, which was absolutely unheard of. So this just kind of shows how she's very much, she's a very bold, very brave woman. She also loved to eat. This part is about to make me hungry. Okay, so in this book that I found called The Marie Antoinette Diet, Eat Cake and Still Lose Weight, which is interesting. I want to read more of this. Author Karen Wheeler says Marie Antoinette enjoyed a pastry with coffee or hot chocolate for breakfast. She ate typically lavish palace cuisine, which included pate, oysters, and lobster as the appetizer, followed by scallops, duck, salmon, 
breaded things, hair stew as a main dish. And then throughout the day, she snacked on cheese, macaroni, vegetables, cooked in cream. And she also indulged herself in petite cakes, crystallized fruits, and wafers for dessert. So she ate quite a lot in a day. She loved the lavish cuisines. And apparently, though, she like somehow maintained like a pretty trim figure for much of her reign, even though she ate all of this food. And I'm like, girl, teach me your secrets. So 17 years after Marie arrived in France, the revolution began. And like I said earlier, this was for a variety of reasons. It wasn't just the monarchy that caused the revolution, although it was a very big piece of it. Obviously, people were just displeased with it. They thought the monarchy was just obviously very frivolous and wasn't really needed. And so there's a lot of issues that ultimately spurred the revolution to officially begin. And so obviously, Marie Antoinette wasn't really helping the monarchy's case by being this really over-the-top colorful person, right? So her partying ways, her rumored affairs, like she literally had all these affairs apparently, like word on the street, and lavish spending on elaborate clothes and other things while her people were literally starving. Like she was eating all that food I just described and people were literally starving during the revolution. And it just like wasn't a good look for Marie in the eyes of the public. And granted, she did try. She kind of like whenever she was in like the public eye, she tried to wear less crazy of outfits. Like she had this like one white gown that she would wear to try to appear a little bit more one of the people, but like obviously didn't really work. And she apparently also donated a ton of money and stuff to like women's shelters, but people really didn't care about that because it just seemed kind of for show, which I feel like it really was. And this next part is just absurd. So Marie, I think she was a very intelligent woman that She was very bold and very brave, but I think she was also just very privileged and obviously just knew that she could like, you know, she could do all these things. So why not? So while peasants in the surrounding villages, like I said, were starving, they had no clothes to even wear. Marie commissioned the construction of her own miniature village of sorts on the palace grounds. She called it the Petite Emu, which is like small hamlet, I assume. And it was a utopian hamlet with lakes, gardens, cottages, watermills, and a farmhouse. And this, this is cringy. The queen and her ladies-in-waiting, so like her best friends, dressed up as peasants, this is horrible, and pretended to be milkmaids and shepherdesses and had a total ball while doing it. They basically like dressed up for Halloween, essentially, and pretended to be peasants while peasants were literally starving in the towns outside of the palace walls. Like, it's so, so tone deaf. Oh, my God. So bad. Not a good look. So it kind of makes sense where the story goes, okay? The story unfolds in a way that kind of makes sense from here. Okay, so you're probably wondering, Katie, you said at the beginning of the episode, this is all about, like, cake. Where is the cake? Well, aside from in Marie Antoinette's stomach because she ate quite a lot of it. Here is the story behind the let them eat cake quote that Marie Antoinette essentially is like linked to, but we'll get to it. I don't think, I truly do not believe that she said it, but legend has it in the height of the French Revolution, Marie Antoinette was being asked about her thoughts on the fact that peasants in nearby towns were starving and didn't have any bread. And this was likely in response to her lavish spending, to the freaking 
fake village she had on the palace grounds that she was pretending to be a peasant in. Like she was not very, very well liked at this point, obviously. So people were probably asking her like, hey, what do you think about the real peasants in the real Hamlet that are really starving and don't have any bread? So in response to this, she reportedly said the phrase, quote, let them eat cake. This is crazy for a few reasons. First being obviously cake is more expensive than bread. It was then. It still is now like an elaborate cake. The ones that Marie Antoinette was eating with like sugared fruits on top and flowers and the whole nine yards. Like obviously peasants couldn't get their hands on cake when they couldn't even find bread to eat. So this phrase just gave more fuel to the fire of hating Marie. Although there is some evidence that I'll say in a few moments uh, that supports that she didn't even say it. And so no one even heard her say this at the time. So she was just hated for other reasons. But if she were to have said this, it would just show that once again, she was tone deaf. She was oblivious to the clear conflict and struggle and essentially the lives of these normal non-royal people that were literally right outside the palace walls. But like I said, legend also has it that Marie never even said this thing, this phrase, let them eat cake. It's actually a myth. There is literally zero definitive proof that is ever said that Marie said this. And I found this Britannica article that breaks it all down. I'll have it linked in the show notes. It was super helpful. So firstly, first and foremost, the original French phrase that people have said, Marie Antoinette has said, actually translates as let them eat brioche, not cake. Obviously, they're in a similar family, but brioche is not the same as cake. And the first person to put the specific phrase, quote, let them eat brioche into print can actually be traced back to the French philosopher Jean-Jacques Rousseau. And in book six of Rousseau's Confessions, which was written in about 1767, he tells a version of the let them eat brioche slash cake story, but he actually, he attributes the quote simply to a great princess. He doesn't give credit to any particular princess. So the story goes in his book, Rousseau is afraid to go into a bakery because he feels he's underdressed, which I guess you had to be dressed to the nines to go to the bakery at this time. I don't know. But he writes in his book, quote, finally, I recalled the stopgap solution of a great princess who was told that the peasants had no bread and who responded, quote, let them eat brioche. So Marie Antoinette was a princess at the time that he wrote this, but she was a literal child. She was only about 11 years old at the time. And so it's super unlikely that she would have been mature enough to say the quote, let them eat brioche. So myth busted. And the earliest known source connecting the quote to the queen was actually published more than 50 years after the French Revolution, when the queen was long, long, long dead. It's been said that the quote was actually said by a totally different female monarch 100 years before Marie was even in her reign. So the quote was either spread as propaganda to make the queen look worse, post-mortem, worse than she already was, or just a total misquote spread a million times over like a game of telephone. Moral of the story, though, Marie's lavish lifestyle and her tone deafness made her hated amongst the French, also her rumored affairs, etc. But aside from all the glittering, decadent trouble that she stirred up, 
Marie certainly had her fair share of demons. She was just very good at masking them with luxurious things. Her husband, Louis, battled depression and because of that had withdrawn his power in the government. So Marie basically had to step in to kind of save the monarchy. She was the only one able to cement the authority in her husband's place. He was just like nowhere to be found and Marie had to step up to the plate essentially. And her mother had actually given her advice to stay out of politics at all costs. And Marie stubbornly refused to follow her mother's advice. She was a force to be reckoned with in the monarchy. And even without the support of her husband standing next to her, helping her throughout this, she was able to hold her ground for quite some time. And obviously, Things eventually got a bit out of hand towards the end, leading up to her her death, but she held her own for a bit. And there's a lot more to this story from the angle of the revolution and all that happened during the revolution. But one event that really stuck out to me that really shows Marie's character, at one point, a mob of outraged women, outraged women, like peasant women, marched from Paris to Versailles and they were fueled by the revolution. They were angry. They were just outraged that the monarchy was not helping the starving people, etc. They had this goal in mind that once they got to Versailles, they would storm the castle and somehow get a one-on-one with Marie. And they somehow managed to find a way into the castle to the queen's private chambers. I don't know how they found it. I'm sure there were so many rooms in this freaking palace and somehow they managed to find her Um, and they wanted to confront her. They wanted to talk to her. I mean, she was powerful, but she was also the most hated woman in France at the time. And so they just wanted a word with her woman to woman, you know? So naturally Marie did what any terrified woman would do in this position. She ran. She ran from her chambers half naked to the king's room, but the mob assembled and demanded to see her. They gathered beneath this balcony and started chanting. And so Marie knew she decided she had no choice. She was humiliated, but she knew what she had to do for her and her children's safety. So taking her young son and daughter with her, she emerged to face the crowd, holding her head high. She held her kids. She stood there stone-faced and didn't back down, didn't apologize, just stood there holding her kids without her husband, head up, showing her power. And the crowd surprisingly approved of this stance. They changed their angry chanting reportedly to say, instead, long live the queen, which Marie had not heard in a very long time. But it didn't last for long. In 1792, after years and years and years of conflict and bloodshed and general turmoil, the French monarchy was abolished and Louis and Marie Antoinette were condemned for treason. And so a year later, in 1793, Marie was set to be executed. Louis was also executed, which, yeah, they were both both beheaded. She rests her head on this block and in a swift motion, it topples to the ground. She was just 37. And she certainly did not get the royal treatment she was used to in terms of a burial. Her body was dragged from the guillotine and just tossed into a cart, like literally just thrown in there. And her head was thrown right between her legs, like the head that had once carried this four foot high, luxurious hairstyle was just thrown into the cart 
and her remains were dumped in an unmarked grave at the time. She eventually, like years and years later, was reburied somewhere else, but she was just dumped into an unmarked grave, which is the ultimate FU, basically a brutal end to the most hated, but the very last queen of France. People call her the eternal queen because she's the last one. But even after her death, people were talking crap about her. Like, as we know, as we just discussed, people published that she had said, you know, let them eat cake to the the peasants that had no bread. Like that rude quote was published in newspapers 50 years after she died, only for the rumor to be totally and completely false. But I guess, I mean, you can't blame the newspapers. You can't blame the people. It does sound like something she might have said considering her character. Uh, So that's rough. But let's transition into another kind of cake, the birthday cake. Now that we've unpacked the let them eat cake quote, I think it's time. I want to chat a bit about the history of the birthday party, which I dug up some really interesting, fun fact, little gems about that you can easily throw out at the next birthday party you attend and be the coolest person in the room. So yeah, tuck these in your back pocket. It's kind of interesting. So the earliest known mention of a birthday celebration was actually made by ancient Egyptians around the year 3000 BCE. So when pharaohs were crowned in ancient Egypt, they were considered to have transformed into gods. And so this meant that their coronation dates, when they became a pharaoh, this was essentially the day that they were reborn as a god, which is way more important, obviously, than their earthly birthday. So their people celebrated this day in particular, and the birthday party was born. It wasn't like called that at the time, but that was like the concept that was born from this. So that brings us back to cake. Why do we celebrate these birthday celebrations with cake? And especially why do we put candles in cakes? Like all they do is melt into the icing and we end up eating wax with each bite. So where the heck did this tradition come from? And there's two hypotheses that I found online. One theory is that the candles in cake tradition began in ancient Greece. So the Greeks would regularly make round cakes to honor Artemis, which is the goddess of the moon. And so the lit candles on the cake represented the glow of the moon, obviously, and the smoke from the candles carried their prayers and wishes to the gods who lived above. And it's all very cute. So that is the first theory that I found. So the second theory I found while searching places the tradition over in Germany, where a candle was apparently placed on cakes to represent, quote, the light of life. It's believed that actually the first actual birthday cake was made there in the Middle Ages. So the Germans would celebrate children's birthdays with cake, calling the celebration Kinderfest. And this was the first legit birthday celebration. So German kids got one candle for each year they'd been alive, as we do now, plus another one to symbolize the hope of living for at least one more year, which is really interesting. I wonder why we stopped doing that. I mean, it's obvious that back then in the Middle Ages, living another year for a child was a big deal because a lot of kids didn't survive childhood due to illness, due to just like how unclean it was in many 
places during the Middle Ages. Like there wasn't modern plumbing. I mean, obviously there's a lot that happened and, you know, a lot of diseases that spread very rapidly. So a kid living another year was a huge deal. Any person living another year was a huge deal. I think the life expectancy back then was generally around like 30 something. So this was the first legit like birthday celebration and blowing out candles was a part of it. Making a wish was also a part of it. So you know, this combined with the ancient Greek traditions, like this was the birthday's origin. So interestingly enough, for the first few hundred years of the birthday party's existence, classic, someone had to say, nope, that's not happening. So the Christian church considered the birthday celebration evil. They believed that when you came into the world, you came with all of this original sin. So celebrating births was unholy. Obviously, you celebrate like baptisms and things like that, but celebrating a birth just didn't feel right to early Christians of this time. So this is really ironic considering like as I was researching this, I was like, that's so crazy because Christians celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, the literal birth of like the birthday of Jesus. So luckily around the fourth century, Christians decided that they could change their minds on this. They're like, well, maybe the birthday isn't so sinful and evil after all. And so then they began to celebrate the birth of Jesus, aka Christmas. And now celebrating a birthday with cake and candles and parties and gifts is a normal occurrence. Obviously, things change as you get older. The style of event totally depends on the person. Some people are birthday people and love celebrating their birthdays. Other people run from them at all costs. But the passing time and aging of a person is celebrated all around the world in various different ways. And personally, I have decided that I am done aging. I am not passing the age of 25. I am just going to continue 25 forever. I will be 25 every year (laughs) for the rest of my life. I'm kidding. I obviously am embracing aging. I will do it. I guess I have to. I just feel like I don't want to be 26 yet. I'm supposed to be 26 in October. And I just feel like it's unfair. I don't want to be 26. I feel like we all lost a year of our lives last year. And I just don't feel ready. But it's coming. It's happening. I'm going to be 26. The show must go on. And I must get health insurance for myself, which is going to be a whole exciting experience within itself. But yeah birthday season right now, guys. It feels like a total birthday season. And you know what? These were the people, the people that are being born or like that were born in these months all those years ago, like all my friends that are turning a different age in the next few weeks or so. Like these were the people that I envied so much growing up because I'm a fall baby. So obviously I don't have like a warm birthday by any means. Like it depends on where I am. Obviously being in LA last year, it was plenty warm in October. Like I I had a beach little like, you know, situation. Like I was on the beach in my bare feet on my birthday, which is unheard of because obviously the fall over on the East coast is a totally different story. It really depends actually sometimes with like global warming and stuff, it could be kind of warm, but where was I going with this? (laughs) Oh, all the people that are like born in summer, like summer babies. I used to be so jealous of them growing up because they could have pool parties. Like was anyone else so, so jealous of the summer babies? growing up, like anyone that was born in the summer that got to have a pool party. And I had to do like a Halloween birthday party every year for like my whole life because I'm born right before Halloween weekend. So it was just like easy and it was fun. Don't get me wrong. I did a lot of like 
movie birthdays. I did like every time a new Halloween town would come out, which I believe there's like four of them, right? Or something like a new Halloween inspired movie. Like I would have a movie sleepover night and that would be my party. But I always was jealous of the summer birthdays. I have to say it. So anyway, guys, thank you for listening to this interesting episode about cake, combining the let the meat cake misquote and debunking that with the history of the birthday. We talked about our girl Marie Antoinette, who was brave, problematic, a little bit tone deaf at times, uh, definitely a trendsetter, a lot of things. I will not say she was crazy because if you guys listened to my one episode way long ago where I was like, talking about how I refuse to call women crazy anymore because for the most part, they actually aren't crazy by definition. Um, That's just like a lazy thing to say when you don't like someone or you don't understand someone by just saying they're crazy and leaving it at that, which I think it just gives men the patriarchy ammo against us women. So I'm done calling people crazy. I am going to call them what they are and use my words, find synonyms that make sense. So yeah, Marie Antoinette was a lot of things. I will not say she was crazy, but she was a lot. She was definitely problematic. She was hated for valid reasons, but she was also courageous. She stood her ground. She stood up for herself. She took the place of her husband when he was not fit or not able to rule. She put in work. She made people in the palace respect her. She did a lot of things that I admire while she wasn't a great person to her subjects. And ultimately, she paid the ultimate price by getting beheaded in front of everybody. Like, I can't imagine. Like, she's probably like thinking to herself up there on the guillotine, like about to get her head sliced off. And she's like, wow, what gives? What did I do to deserve this? I was born into royalty. I didn't get to choose this life. This life chose me and here I am. But at least I ate a lot of good cake before this. So yeah, guys, that is the story I wanted to tell today. Hope you all enjoyed it and got some interesting little nuggets from this tale. And I will talk to you guys all next week. Bye. Bye.